Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depth of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey, welcome to What's the Word Downtown. My name's Matt. This is Pastor Eric Barton, and we are here again in the sordid tale <laughs> that is... Genesis. Man, it reads like a graphic novel if it you does. really take a look at it. It's a really nasty, dirty thing that the Lord has decided to love. You would never make this stuff up if you were going to make it up. It would be way more sterile and sanitary than this. And yet, it's our story. Well, we were in we were in Genesis 30 this week. 32. 32, sorry. Yeah. And uh, you gave, you of course, the, the, the long lead up, the long sordid tale of this right. family drama that can't quit depending on themselves rather than the Lord. And uh, much the bulk of 32 dealt with some strange things that that preceded Jacob ever going to the river. Well, so 30 and 31 are this long lead up of what I kind of jokingly referred to as birth wars. Yeah. Where Leah is having children... And she starts to name them at some point, kind of in a competitive, combative way. There's a jockeying for position in this new kingdom. Totally. And you see that the two sisters and really the the two maidservants are these concubines in the ancient world. They don't really have much say of anything. Bilhah and Zilpah, the two sisters, Rachel and Leah, are using the names of the children to sort of spite one another and to try to get Jacob's attention. And it's this pathetic, pitiful microcosm of... At the end of the day, people are trying so desperately to get accepted. And it's this, what psychologists have been talking about for centuries, there's a fundamental human need that is lacking, net of the fall, we are separate. And so there's this desperate need, and the the two sisters think that Jacob is going to somehow be able to supply their need, their their identity, their their strength, their, their worthiness, their value, and of course he's completely grasping himself. And so there's a whole lot of crazy things where uh, they're having children at one another. The oldest son, Reuben, goes out into the field and finds some mandrakes, which is this root from antiquity that they believed was actually like a living thing because it has kind of the shape of a humanoid deal. And it's all kinds of fairy tales where you pull it out of the ground and it shrieks and then you eat it and it makes you fertile and it's all kinds of stuff. And you see this superstition, magical thing being bartered in the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. in God's word, in the mm-hmm. story of God's people. And this mandrake root is being bartered to buy the conjugal rights with their husband. I mean, it's totally lewd and inappropriate in our modern sensitivities. And yet this is the people through whom God will work to redeem a broken, fallen, and violent world mm-hmm. through these people. And God never blushes. We do. Mm-hmm. He never blushes. And, and Moses, is, Moses is teaching these Israelites some 430 years later just how messy families are and how steadfast and righteous and faithful is the love of God. Yes. Irrespective of what a mess. Absolutely. And so, again, Moses is looking out across the, the encampments of all those people and he's explaining to them who this God is. And despite all of their filth, literally— figuratively, Mm -hmm. God's not embarrassed. He chooses to identify himself with this sordid lot of schemers and strugglers. 
which is an encouragement to the people of Israel. They are not going to be able to go beyond his grace, although they will suffer consequence. But it's the same as for us. Despite all of our tendencies to rebel, to, uh, to backslide, if we want to use that old mm-hmm. puritanical term, mm-hmm. God doesn't blush. He is faithful in spite of our faithlessness. So Jacob, a lot of this, it seems to be like, how can we keep these people separated? Like what I mean is he has been so blessed that Laban wants him to stick around. Right. But he knows he's got to go. He's got to get, he's got to get away. In fact, he, does he kind of go it in? Out, yeah. Out? So again, it, great question. God comes to Jacob and says, all right, circle of wagons. It's go time. I want you to go back to Canaan. And what does Jacob do? Well, he does it deceitfully and schemingly. He waits for Laban to be out uh, doing his sheep shearing party, mm-hmm. and Jacob tries to, like, slip away. He didn't have to do that. Right. So there's still an element, really, throughout his entire life of, yes, I see God. I now know God. I know what God wants me to do, and I'll do it, but I want to do it my way in a way that really proves just how little faith I have in God's capacity to do yeah. it his way. I'm going to hedge my bets. I know God's good and he's yeah. out there and all, but I still have to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And you see the consequences that that reaps over and over and mm-hmm. over and over again. And that's the problem. We do see it. And not only do we not learn from it, listen, I've been struck over and over again. Not only do we not learn from it, but oh my gosh, this is the severity and the seriousness of sin. We can't learn from it. We are a fallen, low anthropology. Well, it's not an education problem, is it? It It's a heart problem. It's 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 a a heart problem, and only feeling that accepted could cause you to let go of your life that much. Because it's conversely, uh, you know, proportionate to your your anxiety about not being expressed, you're grasping. You become, that there's a struggler, that there's a grasper in each of us. Yes. And that that grasper is only overcome to the degree that we allow it and reckon it crucified on the cross. Correct. Of Christ. Absolutely. And and in the very same way we let go of our life, we gain the life of Christ in the cross. That's it. Which frees us. So And only then do you actually begin to live in an accepted way that is actually fruitful and then more importantly, blessing to somebody else around you. That's when life starts to happen when you're not just feeling worthy and blessed and valued and cherished and loved, but when you are so loved so grounded and so founded that you actually are now being able to be the one who defines worth and value into others. I just don't want God to fill my cup. I want him to fill it and keep pouring it that it overflows from my life right. to others. Absolutely. Do you know? Absolutely. Uh, and, and to that point, I wanted to talk about the scarlet thread. You talked about one point where it was red, red, red. Do you remember that? We t- you're talking about no, but it sounds fascinating. No, did weren't you talking about this was red and this was red and this was red? Like you were, it was something to do with the Hebrew. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes, thank you. God I was really <laughs> shooting in the dark for a moment there. Yes. So you've got the the red stew that Esau sells his birthright mm-hmm. for. They're going to Seir, which is a, another Hebraic expression for red. That's the mountain region east Mm -hmm. of the Jordan River Mm -hmm. where Esau and all of his descendants Mm -hmm. and family lives. And then, of course, Esau and Edom all mean red. There's this sort of passion idea associated with it. And you have Moses writing this story having just 
come through the Dead Sea, not the Red Sea. I was way off. The Red Sea. It was Red Sea. You're right. You're there on. is red everywhere. Yeah. And, it, and I couldn't help but think of Christ and, and God weaving his very presence and, and, and full purposes, that sort of the furtherance of what he wanted to say. We were reading in the Hebrew study this, this, mm-hmm. this week. Stedman was talking about the, he, uh, the Hebrews writer who was saying that everything God said in the, through the priests, the prophets, and the angels did not add up together to all that he wanted to say in Jesus. Exactly correct. Well said. And yet, that's why Ray Stedman is the and man. Yet, uh, and yet, he doesn't. He doesn't. In a way, he doesn't hold Jesus back from us. Right. In the in the Old Testament, in right. the Hebrews, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we yeah. see this. You said like this this passion. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the desire for the red stew. Yep. Right. Does he really want the stew, or does he really want to be filled? Exactly. Exactly. And and Jacob will play on that several times with Esau. And then there's this sort of meta layer of mm-hmm. the interchange between brothers, mm-hmm. Jacob and Esau. Jacob is still the younger, although God said he's going to have mastery. He's going to be the mm-hmm. recipient of the birthright and the blessing. Esau is still the older brother. Mm-hmm. And so you see this theme throughout scripture, generally speaking, with Esau and Jacob. And then you get into the New Testament You see Jesus giving the parable of the prodigal son, which is really about an extravagant God. And you see the the sort of the the recipient of the story is the older brother. How is the older brother going to love the younger brother? And then what you find out is, of course, that Jesus is the ultimate older brother. He is the one who will spend exorbitantly for the foolish younger brother. Whereas in the story of Israel coming across the Red Sea, it's Edom who oppresses them. So, so 430 years after this happens with Jacob and Esau, Israel has gone down into Egypt. They've exploded in population and numbers and prosperity and bounty, mm-hmm. despite being in a foreign country in Egypt in the land of Goshen, the, the delta of the Nile area, very fertile, no coincidence. Mm-hmm. God brings them out. They cross the Red Sea. And as they're about to go into the land, Edom comes out, harasses them, harangues them. And God's like, what are you doing? You, this is your brother. So what Moses is telling them here is, hey, this strife began four centuries ago and God's not, God's not unaware. And so 700 years after this, or about a thousand years after this, you're going to get the prophet Obadiah. It's a strange little one chapter book or a no chapter book Mm -hmm. that is written to the condemnation of the older brother. This older brother who did not support and serve and love his younger brother, Israel, as they come up out of the wilderness, God says, I'm going to wipe you out and exterminate you utterly. And he does. Mm -hmm. Now, that's interesting when you think about Jesus, our older brother, who receives the full unmitigated wrath of, of God on the cross. There's a whole lot of sibling interplay in our Bible. And so these stories are not... For us to just go, okay, I should try to get along better with my brother. That's a moral. This That's a fable. We're not after that. Mm-hmm. I've heard these passages preached so much of, hey, Jacob was a swindler. Don't be like Jacob. Be better. Try harder. Sin less. Mm-hmm. Which is not at all the, the, the theme and the thrust of these narratives. Moses is saying, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who do not deserve it. And when they fumble, when they stumble, and they have, and they did, and they will, and when you do, God has provided a means to redeem. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that we see that, 
one of the scholastics in the 1100s, Peter Abelard, was very emphatic about saying, when we see the love of God, we turn to him and our hearts are softened. And that actually, we don't have to try to control people's behavior. We point them to Jesus. Yeah. And that was an ancient thing that's a beautiful thing, but these stories are preparing us for that, man, Jacob doing his best was a, sm a smuggling, scheming mess. Yeah, and I... To, to to move on into the 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 physical spiritual struggle in darkness, the dark night of the soul right. that, that Jacob is going to have. He he says, "Everyone else, go ahead." Yeah. He pushes everyone else ahead. He says, "I need to do some business with God." <laughs> right. I mean, is he? Does he know? Does he have an idea of what he's supposed to do? Is he looking to hear from God? Is he thinking, "Oh my gosh, I finally got away from Laban. <laughs> right. I've got these all these wives and concubines and all more than I." But he's scared of his brother still, right? He's terrified. He's terrified of his brother, and because that Cain spirit in Esau is got a red dot on Jacob's head. Absolutely. That he can't get away from. And his conscience. Yeah, his conscience. I mean, when, when I do someone wrong, you know, I mean, there's a certain amount of things that I know if I if I really look back and take, what is it, a fearless moral inventory, mm -hmm. I know that I did, I did my brothers wrong in some way. Sure. And that grieves me. And most of it I can't really change. I can acknowledge, but I can't really change it. But I, this, something, this is something that's very real uh, to all of us with siblings. Absolutely. Siblings biologically, siblings spiritually. There is, again, Matthew 5. Jesus says if you've got something against your brother, he doesn't necessarily mean just your biological brother. Mm -hmm. You've got to get that reconciled. That's more important than your worship. There's an old preacher's adage that says, who is it that if you were preaching and you saw them walk in the back of the room, your blood would run cold? You've got to think on that and you've got to approach that person mm -hmm. because they might. And too much is at stake for you to be holding dark corners of grievance. Mm -hmm. And so I think Jacob's conscience has caught up with him. I think he's desperately wanting to be unburdened by all the other responsibilities domestically that he has. He sends them all across the ford. I don't know that he has any indication or any idea of what's about to happen. I don't think he does. But I think God's superintending Jacob's maneuverings to get Jacob alone to do what he's going to do, which is one of the most familiar passages of the Old Testament, where a pre-incarnate Christ, Jacob's Jacob. It's an amazing image, and we don't get a whole lot of detail about it, but I think God uses Jacob's guilt, his conscience, his fear to get him alone well, and, that's and the, jumps him. That's the thing. I'm What I'm thinking is of all the baggage that Jacob has. He can send he can send right. his wives, his concubines, his goats and his herds, everything across the river, but what he can't actually free himself of. Bingo. Is him. Is himself and his guilt because in a way we are the accumulation of our acts. Sure. A unless we are Unless we receive the accumulated actions of another. Well, that's and, I mean, that's true. And even even this side of redemption, look, our our actions still derive consequences. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like redemption and reconciliation with the Lord suddenly makes it to where we can speed in school zones. Mm -hmm. No, there are there are still 
there is still causality and effect mm -hmm. in the cosmos, and God uses that. And so for millennia, people have been trying to somehow divest themselves from themselves. Of their worried minds. Yes, and that's the conundrum. How do I get peace? How do I have acceptance? Jacob's tried everything, mm -hmm. and he's all out of options. He's alone. He's essentially laid bare and completely vulnerable. And the fairy tale would say, the fairy godmother comes down, and she says, these three wishes I grant you this night, or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, God comes and jumps him, totally ambushes him. It is totally unexpected. And yet, this is how much God loves us. He's willing to ambush us, to fight against our errant, stubborn, scheming, struggling selves. He'll you know, fight against our former self. It, we know it's through the night. You know, uh, it would have been interesting if the Lord would have written where they struggled for three nights. Do you know, uh, sure, uh, sure. like maybe Jonah and then Christ. Yeah. But there is a sense of like, this is not only is he wrestling with a pre-incarnate Christ, but when if I cast my mind forward and tell me if I jump the hermeneutic, right? Like, but, <laughs> but, but when I cast my mind forward first uh, to the cross of Christ from, from where Moses is telling this story, mm -hmm. but first to the cross of Christ, but then also to me in my day, right? Mm -hmm. That is to say... If anyone would follow me, he picks up. He will pick up his cross and die daily. And that there is this existential struggle that characterizes the life of a Christian, wherein, in some ways, I'm struggling with God my whole life because I can't see Him fully. Right. And so, because I can't see Him fully, and I don't know myself fully, uh, that th th there is a sense that. To pick up my cross, day, die daily is like I want to. I, I I want to pick up my cross. I want to follow after Jesus. I see that it's there. I see that it's the capacity. There, there's a possibility for me to lay down my life, and yet I don't want to do that. Right. I want to do it, and I don't want to do it at the same time. What is this thing that's going on within me? Paul would write yeah. in Romans seven. Yeah. That that there's something like a Romans seven experience for Jacob. How will he live life by the Spirit if he's not first touched by the perspective that God gives him about just how ungod Jacob is and just how God God is? Right. And he and so in that touching of the hip, he is a he is there is there is mercy in his affliction. Absolutely. A holy wound. We don't want to think of it that way. But it is an absolute grace and a mercy that God dislocates Jacob's hip and gives him a limp for the rest of his life. And even that is not sufficient to totally transform Jacob. No. He's still going to completely enter into more struggling, more swindling, more schemes and deceits, which is, I think, part of what Moses is wanting to write this down for. Un under the inspiration of the Spirit is, hey, Israel, when, not if. When you get distracted and begin to adopt the ways of the Canaanites, return, remember, return, remember, because you're going to. God knows this, and he's not embarrassed, he's not blushing, but come back, die to self every single day. And we have that need. I mean, in a sense, you're right. We, we don't get to cling to God viscerally, physiologically, bodily, but we cling to truth. And so there are all these wonderful ideas and images that Scripture gives us of to jump into another narrative, you see Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea pulling the cursed corpse of Christ 
off the cross and getting him all um, over them, mm -hmm. covering them. Whereas Judas has said, I will not have this man's blood on my hands. Mm. They get him all over mm -hmm. them. And that's what we do as Christians daily. And an old friend, I hope he's listening to this one, Mark yeah. Taylor, he's a... Uh, he was a counselor, and he was a, he's an Italian, despite his last name, Taylor. He would always say, don't try to fool an old Italian drug dealer, because he had been a drug dealer, okay. got clean, and then went to grad school, went back to grad school, had a couple of master's degrees in counseling, and was just an amazing, amazing guy. And he'd say, yeah. he'd look at him and say, don't try to swindle an old Italian drug dealer. I've heard it all before. Yeah. But he'd always tell me, you have to take captive the second thought of the day. Yeah. He said, the first thought, you got no control over. You wake up, it's just, it, it's gone. Natural. But you better be intentional about seizing the second thought and putting some fins on the rocket of your mind and aiming it in the right direction. And so in a sense, that's how we cling. We remember what is right. We remember whose we are. When we fail to remember, when we forget, it's, a, it's, it's functionally a failure to believe the gospel. And I think that when you to remember whose you are, you got to send everything else across the river. In a lot of ways, yeah. You can't, I mean, am I, you know, Jacob, am I Rachel's husband or am I Leah's <laughs> husband? Am I a husband to Zilpah? The other, I mean, what, am I my father's? Yeah. No, before every other relationship has to be, you, you've got to wrestle with God. Absolutely. And so that's that why he can bring, change. he can bring, yeah, that he could bring to a man real perspective. Doesn't, doesn't, uh. David asked in one of the Psalms, Lord, number my days. Mm -hmm. Help me to have perspective. Let me see the difference between you and me that mm -hmm. I would know what you can give me that I could never bring myself. Yeah, proper perspective. That's wisdom, right? Seeing the world, seeing my own life through God's eyes. Mm -hmm. That's the uncrossable chasm of the human experience that God, by his spirit, through his word, among his people, mm -hmm. he bridges the gap. He gives us the, the perspective that we can't have accurately otherwise. And so I think this is what Moses wants for the children of Israel to have is the proper perspective. But we have access to with the completion of the canon of Scripture, so much more so than Moses and Jacob. We've got the indwelling of the Spirit, the completion. You see, you see Jacob on this side and everyone else over here. And there's this sense that we know you're going, but first you've got to go in the Spirit of the Lord. You've got to go having been touched right. by, by God. And you have Moses saying, hey, here we are in the wilderness, but we are going to the promised land. Yeah. Are we going to go as fools? <laughs> right. Or are we going to go with God? And this, and there's a, the, the, even like the, the snake bitten portion of, mm -hmm. in Exodus where all the Israelites are bitten with a snake and they have to look up to the to the rod to see the snake head to see that the instrument of healing or instrument of death is also the right. instrument of healing. Uh, in order to go across, we have we go with intellectual honesty and with spiritual grounding if we go not on our own two feet but being carried. Right. It's a great model for life. It's a great model for ministry. What you see Jacob do is, in one sense, is it cowardly? I don't know. The, the text doesn't really comment on this, that he sends everything across the ford, across the Jabbok. You know, Jacob sends across the Jabbok, and then he, Yaqeb, he, there's this play on words. He sends everything across. 
not having any control for outcomes. As far as he knows, everything that he sends across is getting slaughtered. He has no idea. But he's trusting God for the outcomes in one sense, or just saying, I have no other options. I'm all out of options. All my choices are bad. All my choices are hard. He sends everything across, not trying to control outcomes. Moses leading the people of Israel into the promised land. We are not responsible for outcomes. We are responsible to keep our eyes on God. Same thing in ministry in the 21st century. We are not responsible for outcomes. We don't devise church trying to force and scheme yeah. and manipulate mm -hmm. outcomes of notches on our baptism belt. Yes. No, we trust God. We turn our eyes first and those of those who are gathered with us to Jesus and we trust God with the outcomes. So we want to be careful not to try to measure and imply uh, too many metrics. Mm -hmm. We simply want to recognize that God is faithful and walk in that light that he's given us. Okay, so let me ask you as we wrap up. Let me ask you a little bit about what do we do with this scripture or with this story now when you have a brother or a sister that seems to be ostensibly in a dark night of the soul mm -hmm. in a struggling season in a, in a place where, because we know that this doesn't just happen overnight in a dream. Sometimes it's a long season right? where I say, I think, you know, I think God is, God seems to be crushing me, but he may be making me more alive at the very same time. And this is just a really strange thing to be going through. I mean, we see this all the time with, with different congregants in our church. We see it in our own lives. Sure. What does this story have to say to the Christian today? Um, it's a great question. And there's not an easy answer. Mm -hmm. the, the human struggle, I would contend, at least in my experience and my reading of Scripture and my spending time with counseling others, mm -hmm. the human struggle really is the succession of moments. By that I mean the passage of time. Mm -hmm. We forget sometimes looking at the life of Jacob, he's 95 years old mm -hmm. when this happens. He has been with Laban, this oppressive, essentially, functionally, Laban is to Jacob a Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. He's oppressing him. He's got him in bondage. He's got him obligated. Yeah. He's making him make bricks without straw, kind of in a way, with what he does with Jacob's livestock. Talk about thorns and thistles. Absolutely. And so it's the passage of time, 20 years when you're dealing with a relational fracture of a loved one or a sibling or a child or a parent, man, it's the it's the the next 30 minutes, the next 30 minutes, the next 30 minutes. When you're dealing with a potentially fatal disease, it's the next 30 minutes. Mm. For us, it is the passage of time that is extremely, I would say, infinitely difficult for us to, to live through. And so what do we do? We have to try to preserve the long view which is not easy to do. It requires the spirit, the word, the people. It requires a, a right view of God that despite all else, come what may, I will trust him. He is good. And so you do what the psalmist does is a long answer to your short question. Mm -hmm. We preach sermons to our souls. Mm. We have to keep preaching sermons to our souls as time ticks by and the thud of the second hand gets louder yeah. and longer. Mm -hmm. We preach sermons to our souls. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, I quote this all the time because mm -hmm. I, I need to hear it. Mm -hmm. Preach to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. there, is a, there is a voice of accusation that comes from the flesh. There is a voice of accusation that comes from the world and the devil. We have to preach truth to ourselves 
and then I have to have Matt McGill. Yeah, well, that, and that seems to be like it, to, to overcome the succession of moments is to live in the eternal now. Yeah. And the idea is that the past, because we can't change it, sucks us into condemnation. That's good. And the future, because we can't see it, sucks us into anxiety right. to where the past wants us living there and the future wants us living there. But God wants us living here and now. Right. This day. Absolutely. This, this day. is the day the Lord has made. Let us. And so we rejoice. Yes. And be glad. In there it. you go. Well, we're glad you joined us. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. And this coming Sunday. Absolutely. Genesis 35. 35. God Read bless. Us. Be ready. See y'all.